92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Paul Ebersold, everybody. Uh, we walked in on you guys. You guys were tracking guitars today. So I thought we could begin by talking about some of the guitar work you've done. Uh, you and I recently were talking about the time that you worked with Keith Richards. <laughs> How loud was Keith Richards' guitar? Uh, we didn't actually record Keith's guitar. What we recorded was Joey Sampionato's bass. So, you know, we're here today in Nashville. You own the studio here, but was Ardent kind of where you cut your teeth? Ardent is definitely where I cut my teeth. Ardent Studios in Memphis with... Uh, Mostly with Jim Dickinson and John Hampton uh, and a lot of the Stax people in the rhythm and blues and soul in the 80s, 90s was the least, most popular music then. Yeah. And so I was the young, shitty new engineer in Studio C, which was the worst room in Arnett. And so I got the Muscle Shoals rhythm section and Mavis Staples and Al Green and all the Stax people and it was like, it was the best. It was like the best thing that could have happened to me. When they were giving you those artists, because you know, at the time those were considered the dregs of what was coming in. Yeah, because this is this is like late '80s hair metal, pre-Nirvana. I mean, the coolest pop soul. I think a few years before that was Rick Astley. So real soul was not a thing. It was not a happening thing. And You're saying Rick Astley is not real soul? No, okay. not. She's great, but no. Uh, I'm from Memphis. That's not real soul. <laughs> Got it. You but know. then, so, um, you know, as the like, uh, 90s progressed and you really came into your own as a go-to producer, mm -hmm. did you have a sound, did you have a vibe that people came to you for? Uh, I think... I'm going to say no, because every record I made was different sounding. Uh, I, l I always have seen it as my role is to facilitate, you know. If you want me to be a Daniel Lenoir, I can do that. But uh, nobody ever came to me for that. Right. Uh, so it's almost like, what do you want to be? And then, of course, I'm working with record labels, and they have a say-so. This is the market. This is the radio station. This is the format. This is we're going to put this stuff. Here's how we're going to release it. And if it's college radio, rock radio, adult, adult, adult top 40, whatever it is, you have to appropriate your production so it serves that. Because we want to be successful, so you do that. So the band would get to say, hey, these are our influences. Drummers like, I love these drum sounds. Da, da, da. Our guitar players, I like this. And, you know, and you listen to them tell you that, and you serve their interest. And, you know, and sometimes you say, bad idea. That sounds like ass. Don't do that. Play through a Marshall. Don't play through a dual showman, you know, or whatever, because, you know, so. You do say things like that. Like, that sounds like ass. So I work. <laughs> I know. You do, do say something like that. I know. Well, it depends. Robin Trower makes them sound pretty good. Well, so Somehow. I worked, like, I worked with Paul on my album, Airwaves, and one thing that I really enjoyed about that 
kind of like what you were just saying, you were, uh, you were quite interested in learning what kind of record I wanted to make, mm -hmm. and then you were able to, to make that, to put those, you know, to take my Spotify playlist and, um, and know what kind of preamps mm -hmm. that, that translated to. I really appreciate that. I think that's a rare skill in a producer. Uh, I think it's appropriate for any service job. Well, it's appropriate. It doesn't mean that it's common, though. Well, I, but I would have told you if you had a bad idea. I would have said, that's not going to work. That's, you know, Did I, I have any bad ideas? We went over that. We don't need to do that right now. That's <laughs> off-camera stuff? <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth the whole time, you know, and... When you said, hey, I want this kind of record and these kind of sounds, I'm like, that sounds like a good idea. That's going to work. And so that's what we did. Well, okay. Speaking of records, I know that you're not going to bring this up on your own, so I want to ask you. Um, you're, you're a multi-platinum uh, producer multiple times over, and that's a lot of platinum. Um, what are just, you know, what are some of the bigger records you've worked on? It's okay because you were asked. You don't... You know Soundgarden? Yeah. I didn't work with them. <laughs> no, you didn't. Beatles, I, I did not work with the Beatles. But uh, you did work with Three Doors Down. I did, I did their first record. I did, and we had a lot of big songs on that record. Kryptonite. Um, man, I think the first record I, I did some stuff. Uh, there was a band that I really liked a lot called the Screaming Cheetah Wheelies in the early 90s. Not many people know who that was. That was really the beginning of me going, wow, let's make a sound, let's do something. And then after that, I did a bunch of smaller label things. And I did a band called Sister Hazel. And we had a giant hit, a massive hit. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like the white boy anthem of all time. But it was. And it was a good song. And you don't go in there and you don't try to make that shit cooler than it needs to be because then you're not really serving what it is. Well, and that's All For You, the song All For You by Sister Hazel. It was big. And, and Change Your Mind was a big Change hit. You did that mind, for them too. Champagne High. We had a bunch of we had a bunch of really good songs. Um, um, well, and you did some harder rock as well, mm -hmm. like Skillet. Mm-hmm. Saliva. Oh, about them. Yeah, I did Saliva too. Yeah. Did a bunch of things. Now you're in Nashville, and I I came to know of your work through the weeks. Yeah. I heard the guitar tones on that album, and I asked. You know, like who was your producer? Who helped get those? And they told me you. So I feel like um, you're getting some of the best guitar tones in modern music. So for you, what what is the secret to getting those? Is it in the amp? Is it in the fingers? Is it in the guitar? I mean, you say, hey, I want to sound like Jimmy Page on uh, "Whole Lot of Love" or whatever. I'm like, okay, you need a Les Paul, and you need an Alnico pickup. You, you need to play it like he does, or play in that style. You need a cable that goes into the amp, like a Marshall, like a Plexi, uh, and you need a good preamp. I mean, you do exactly what they did. Yeah. You don't change the, you know, you want that sound, you get that sound. It comes out of these amplifiers and comes out of these guitars and pickups. So every guitar I have over here is deliberate. It, the pickups, I know what they do. I know exactly how they're gonna respond. And if you say I want Pete Townsend, or I want Mark Knopfler, or I want whatever, whatever, on, I have pretty much most of the things I can do that with. Yeah. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm cool. It's like, no, this is the toolbox. I can do that. If I can, I'll find a way or find a guitar that can. Same with the bass. Same with sets of drums. I have various drums around here that make those sounds. Now, the next thing I do, I get, I get the fucking players that can play them. 
you know I don't pretend on that and then when like when we made our record you're like I want this da, da, da. I'm like I know guys that can do that let's get those guys and then we get on the floor and we arrange that song and we make a real rhythm section out of it everybody's eyeballing each other and you're being thoughtful about the track and you're being thoughtful about the arrangement and we're trying to make the thing as good as we can uh, and everybody has in the same mindset good things happen yeah it happens you know you use good mic pre's and you use good EQ and you use all the stuff you're supposed to have. So how important is like the building? Because you've worked, you've worked in some really iconic worked places. That's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, I've worked in every major studio in this country for years. All of them. Worked at Criteria. Worked at Hit Factory, Electric Lady. What was Hendrix's? Electric Lady. I worked at Quad in New York and Quad here. Woodley, all of them. And the classic engineering was great. That's really only a means to an end because at the end of the day, the songwriter has to be good at what he's doing and the song has to be good. And then secondly, the performance of that is next. And then thirdly, the recording has to be good. So I'm successful or have been because somebody first wrote a song. Right. Uh, and secondly, I'm like, whoa, that's a good song. Hold on, that's a good song. There's a long lot of vert, let's make it a little bit better. Production is really song arrangement and song recognition to me, not everybody. There's different kinds of producers. For me, I'm like, I'm finding that song. And then you find, you talk to the artist and you help, you have a dialogue about what it needs to sound like, like right. we have done. And then you go about doing it, you know. Or if you're a producer and you're like, man, there's no place to play that. Nobody's ever going to hear it if you put that harp on your metal song. It's not going to help, you know, you say, bad idea. You, you, you have to, or I have to bring all things to the table for the betterment of the song for the artist that I'm working for, and sometimes the label. So, What if a person really does want to put a harp on it, though, and you're arguing, and it's just what the, you know, uh, what the artist wants? I'll try it. The harp. You try it. Absolutely. I could be wrong. I could absolutely be wrong. But if it's done, and I think it's a death knell, I'm going to say it. Okay. No. That, no. That's not going to work. No harp. Mm-mm. Try it. Well, you were talking about getting the right players mm -hmm. in the studio. Um, you've got a really great player in here today. Who was playing, like, who was playing guitar when we walked inside? Uh, Sadler Jennings Vaden. Sadler Jennings Vaden. <laughs> the man with three cool names. Yeah, I didn't realize he had a cool middle name as well. Jennings is his, his freaking middle name. And for those who don't know, Sadler, in addition to um, you know being an acclaimed artist in his own right, he's also played with Driving and Crying, and uh, he's played for more than like half a decade with Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. Yeah. So what are you guys doing today then? We're working on his new album, and probably his best work yet. Uh, and again. I'm going to start by saying these are the best songs I think that he's ever written, which to me is paramount. That's really helps me. It just fires me up. It just makes me want to go for it. It makes me just want to just nail it for him and for everything involved. Uh, Guitar-wise, it's going to be a great guitar record because he's a great guitar player. Um, but we are not setting out to make a guitar record. It's a record that is orchestrated by guitars. Right. So it'll be that. So that's what we do. That's what he does, and uh, I like him too. Um, I will tell you this. We tracked 
again, most of the tracks we tracked live with the band was Jimbo, hard on bass, Fred Eltringham on drums, and Sadler on guitar, and Derry played some keyboards. Pretty much everything we recorded is going to be part of the record, and then we're overdubbing to do some sweetening things, a couple of vocal overdubs, but it really went down well. The songs were good. We worked out the song arrangements. We rehearsed the band. Everybody knew their parts, and so when we got here, everybody's looking at each other going, man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to fucking kill this. Yeah. And they did. Well, All I had to do was plug my stuff in and make it sound cool, you know, and so... You know, that's a, that was a very, very good day. Very couple, good week, actually. So it's about getting the right group of people together, and you know, if the right song is there, too, it's kind of hard to make that go wrong. You can. You can put a harp on it. <laughs> yeah, but it's inappropriate. You can mess it up, man. You can mess it up. But I will say this. I have had more success with great sh- songs and shitty recordings than amazing recordings of shitty songs. That makes complete sense. I mean, just, if your song's not good, nobody cares, you know? And sometimes you have a terrible recording of a great song, it becomes, God, look how cool they made that. They made it trashy, and it becomes the thing because the song propels it, and then the sound of it follows in the wake of that momentum of a great song. Everybody wants to sound like that. That's okay, too. Music. So the lesson is work on your songs, make them tight, and then call Paul Eversolt. Call, call Just Paul. Just call Paul. Um, I went to school to be an architect. My father is a commercial contractor that built international buildings, Panama, Caribbean, West Africa. And so I was to be the heir to this construction company. I hated it. I mean, I love my dad. My dad's the coolest guy that ever lived, amazing man. But he knew I couldn't do it. I, I had heard that a friend of mine managed a band called the Barcades, and Don, this old guy, he said, come to the studio. So I went to the studio back in the day. I think I was probably 22. I was almost out of college. And I went into a recording studio. I'm like, I am supposed to be doing this. I, I like it pivotal. I mean, I t- went back to the, the talked to my dad. I said, I got to do music. I got to record. I'm supposed to be doing this. And there was, I had not, I'd only played in bands. No history whatsoever of any knowledge about any recording studio process or anything. But once I got there, I knew it because uh, I, did, I mean, it just lit me up. And then, of course, my dad rubbed his head. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Paul, son, your mother's going to kill me. I went back to school, heard they had a recording program at the University of Memphis, and I went there for two years, and I, I, they, I, they failed me on my production class, so I quit. But you know what? I kind of don't need this. And then I uh, got a job at Cotton Row Studios just for a minute, and they hired me at Ardent to write jingles. And when I got hired at Ardent, it was like a dream come true. I just couldn't believe it. That was the highest I thought I That literally was, there was nothing above that to me. Not one thing. It was amazing. It was just dream come true. And then all the other stuff, the records and awards and all that, that all came later, and I never even expected any of that. I was just so grateful to be in a music environment, in a professional studio, recording humans. 
What are some of the jingles you rip? UPS, FedEx, GMC, Truck Team. Do you remember any of them? Yeah, it made a lot of minute money, and I didn't even care. I'm like, uh, I do so many. I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't. I think Joe Hardy said, Eversole, can you write a jingle? I'm like, yes, yeah, sure. And then I went back and talked to him. Hampton, what's a jingle? He said, Eversole. And so he told me what a jingle was. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. So we had a, a big sampling computer that could sample 113-second stereo called a Fairlight. It was like $80,000. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a sequencer, and I wrote jingles on that thing. And back in Studio City. Man, one of my first rabbis was Jim Dickinson. And I was a young guy back in Studio C and I'd met him a few times and for some reason he favored me for some reason and so he had me work with Luther and Cody and Paul Taylor. They had a band called DDT uh, before the All-Stars, and they were boys, and through that, Jim and I became close. Then he hired me to work on the Toots in Memphis record, and I mean, just, we worked on so many records together. He did Green on Red. Right in the middle of the project, he said, Paul, you're gonna play the drums. Get in there and play. I'm like, Jim, so I ended up playing drums on that. And so he knew I could kind of play everything enough, a little bit, not really well, but the idea behind some things. And so we became, we, I mean, we just, we just became really close. I learned from John Hampton how to make everything perfect, and I learned from Dickinson how to throw that out of the window and just go with your gut, you know. Um, I miss Jim dearly. I really, really do. He was very special and very big to me. Um, Ardent was a very professional and kind of austere environment, and Jim really broke that apart. It kind of obliterated the austerity for me and just made me feel welcome and belonged. And uh, between Jim Dickinson and the Stax people, it was like uh, I had a family. It was really cool. Uh, I appreciate you letting us crash your recording man, session, happy man. happy you're here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 